Belinda Stronick is getting sued by her dad because apparently she mismanaged his fortune. That's the problem. You gotta make sure they have Alzheimer's before you start fucking with the money. Ain't that the truth. That's my plan. He's got his money locked up so tight I'm never getting near it. You know what was his plan? If he won the lottery, he was going to take a million and put it aside to use as a bounty on his financial planner if the financial planner ever took off of his money. <laughs> he literally has had this plan locked and loaded for Here's 20 God. years. <laughs> oh, your dad. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Hello, all. Welcome to episode nine. It's episode nine, and we're feeling fine. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> kind of tired. <laughs> but I have a sick kid, so. Yes. This is what happens when you have children. You have to record episodes back to back just so that you have it locked and loaded for release on time. Yes. <laughs> so we're less at the whim of uh, melting down toddlers. <laughs> Or snotty-nosed toddlers. Yes. <laughs> so I am one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm the other host, Andy. Uh, if you uh, listen, and you've been listening for the last eight episodes, thank you so much. Uh, you can visit our website and see all of our wonderful things, including our, our recently launched blog at rabbitholespodcast.com. You can email us if you have any ideas or just want to tell us about a rabbit hole that you've recently fallen down. Uh, rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us at Twitter with if I guess you ever ask if there's anybody who has uh, podcast recommendations, Elise will uh, reply to you from at rabbitholespod. <laughs> and you can also reach us at Facebook, rabbitholespodcast page, and Instagram at rabbitholespodcast. Yes. Uh, also, if you like what we are doing, please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play, wherever you're getting your downloads for this podcast from, and leave us a good rating or review uh, to help us out with our visibility and to get us locked and loaded into the uh, algorithms of these websites so that other people can find out about us. We have a contest running right now. Um, until the end of today. Until the end of today, when this uh, the day this podcast uh, drops. Thank you, Andy. It's not like I picked the date myself. Well, I had to look it up. <laughs> One of us is on the ball. That's all we need. That's why there's two of us here today. Uh, so if you give us a good rating or a good review on whatever uh, platform you're getting this website from, your name will be entered into a draw to win some Rabbit Holes podcast merch which I don't even know what it is. It's coming in a mystery box from Ooh. one of our printers. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what it is. Uh, either our production assistant, Wellington, or our producer, Maggie, will be helping with the selection of the winner of that. We're going to put everyone's name in a bowl and let whichever cat I can corner uh, <laughs> pick the name out of the bowl. So there might be teeth marks in it. Uh, that is assuming I can corner one of them. They're both wily and difficult. Just sprinkle a little uh, catnip and Wellie will do it. This is true. Yes. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> to go back to the weed episode yes, we talked about last week. week. Yeah, for sure. Cat weed. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, leave us some good reviews and uh, help us get out there and noticed by other people. That would be great. That'd be great. Uh, so we have to decide who's gonna go first. Let's do rock paper scissor. See if we sure. can. Sure. <laughs> this make is it not as awkward as the last <laughs> time we did this. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, ah. I got rock. Andy's got paper. Andy's going first. I was a little delayed, but not. Just <laughs> I know a it takes like, the synapses have to like line up. And I fire know. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit slow today, so. Um, and look, I have this whole story prepared, so you Yay. have to do hopefully less editing. <laughs> Uh, I got a blog post written, though. You did. And I'm doing a course. You did. You are. And I have two small children. Yes. And my life is psychotic. <laughs> so uh, it was actually a number of weeks ago. I've been sitting on this topic uh, for ages. So I was reading um, an article uh, a number of weeks ago now that had a line in it saying that gossip says more about us than them, the subject. This stayed with me, and it was actually a, uh, from one of my favorite uh, gossip sites that I'll talk about later. <laughs> so this has stayed with me, and I keep thinking about it for weeks. And the main question is why? Why, why do I keep thinking about this? Why do we gossip? Um, Elise got me hooked on a site called Superficial, oh, a celebrity nice. gossip site that was half biting funny commentary on celebrity half Instagram models asses. Right. Um, and half dick jokes. And half Literally dick jokes. Literally one and a half whole hour websites. Yeah, it, it was really was. Visual. It was great. <laughs> um, and and that has since shut down. Rest in peace, superficial. Mm -hmm. But we did get a couple of retweets from the... Carmen and Mike, the former uh, author and photo boy of <laughs> the website. Side. Um, and that site used to publish um, sort of a list of links to other sites, Jezebel, and that's what hooked me on Laney Gossip after Superficial shut down. This is a celebrity journalism at its finest. It has no Instagram models asses and not as many <laughs> dick jokes, but it's insightful and well-worded uh, look at celebrity culture and in many ways the, the world as a whole. Um, it was Lainey herself who wrote that line that stuck in my head. And she was actually talking about, uh, it was in the context of Trump, something Trump did. This was a number of weeks ago. So why do we gossip? Let's be clear here. Everybody gossips. Mm -hmm. If someone says they don't, they are lying. Absolutely. So badly. Um, some psychologists believe that we are hardwired to gossip. Gossip helped us figure out complex social structures who was attached or not, who had power or didn't. And this in, uh, information was a very important when it came to finding a mate and having a baby, which as silly as it sounds, was really important back in the day. Right. Like back, back, back in the day. So right. finding out who was the best possible mate was very <laughs> important for uh, our continued survival. Yes. But what you just described, I started a new job in January. And I promised myself I wasn't going to be a spreader of gossip, but I guess I have a very approachable face because I've become the receivee of gossip and it's helping me like figure out the hierarchies. And I've gone from a small office of 50 into a large organization of a few hundred, if not a thousand. And so I listen to all gossip. I try not to spread it. I had my first reciprocal gossip session last week and I don't know how I feel about it yet. So I'm hoping this story is going to help clarify that for me. 
So um, John Hardy is one of those people. He, he's a neuroscientist from the University College in London. He has written on the subject and says that gossip evolved in the village societies where everybody knew everybody else and successful navigation of local politics had a very uh, direct impact on your personal success. Just like, like my your job. job. Exactly. <laughs> so back in the day, we used to lean over the back fence and chat with our neighbors about what was going on in the community, who was screwing the butcher, what the postman was doing. Oh, my God. Did you hear what she thought about you? I know. <laughs> she has such a big ass. Uh, times, they, they really didn't change with some estimate of about 60% of our time chatting with other people. And most of that involves some type of gossip either about social relationships or personal experiences. While some forms of gossip are certainly negative or just unneeded, others uh, serve a positive social role. Gossip is the human version of social grooming, which is practiced by our primate cousins, where we create social bonds and establish the rules of our society. So gossip can be important in establishing and monitoring individual sort of reputations, and this monitoring can foster cooperation. For example, if you're going to buy something from an Etsy seller, you're more likely to get it from someone with good reviews, hence a good reputation. Oh, I never even thought of that as gossip, but it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. And it, the threat of bad gossip yeah. that can limit your or negatively impact your reputation and uh, will often be act as a deterrent and therefore foster better behavior, hmm. either if it's online with selling or reviews or um, just in your small community or in your workplace because you don't want to get a bad reputation of being like that person that drops the ball or the person who's a flush the toilet, whatever. (laughs) Sorry, I just threw that one there (laughs) because I walked into, I work, our uh, building has the weirdest uh, bathroom culture. That bathroom we we share. I used to work with Andy. That's why this floor shares the bathroom with another office. And that other office is the most dysfunctional workplace. I think anyone has ever been a part of Yes, And it all ends up in the bathroom. So if you time it right, you're walking in on either a fight, a cry session, a gossip set. It is bonkers in there. Yeah. Sometimes you're not sure if someone has the cold or is doing coke yeah. or is crying or all three. It could literally be all three and I would not be surprised. <laughs> Some lady was singing while taking a poop today. It was very weird. <laughs> Somebody's boss busted in on them in the bathroom like, are you in here? To like finish an argument that was had started in the office and like... No, like, there was just one of our staff people in there. Like, no, no, just try to be a peace, people. <laughs> uh, so damaged reputations act as a deterrent and foster better behavior. The, the idea that the benefits of gossip around cooperation corresponds to a special subset called pro-social gossip. Uh, this involves sharing negative judgments about a third party, but where the in Information could protect the recipient from antisocial behavior or exploitation. Uh-huh. For example, the years of gossip, say around Harvey Weinstein, told to younger actresses as a form of pro-social gossip. Right. Uh, this form of pro-social gossip emerges in development around the age of three. So a group of researchers oh. from the Max Plack Institute for 
evolutionary anthropology studied pro-social gossip in three and five-year-olds. They set up a game in which the aim was to collect tokens. However, part of the game was players should share their tokens with other players. A player could be stingy by sharing only a few tokens or follow the norm or share uh, and share a set amount of tokens or be generous and share lots of tokens. First, each kid played the game one-on-one with two puppets. Then a second kid would come in and they would play again, but with only one puppet. So each puppet was different color and had a different role. So one puppet was selfish, hoarding the tokens. One acted generously and gave out lots of tokens. Then the researchers wanted to see how long it would take the first kid to gossip to the second kid about which puppet they should choose. Hmm. So researchers found that most kids in both age groups gave guidance on which puppet to choose. Three-year-olds would just make a recommendation, like you should pick the blue puppet um, or the orange puppet, but not often give a reason why. However, about half the five-year-olds would offer a why. So they would go beyond a recommendation to a social judgment. So don't pick the orange puppet because... He is mean with his tokens. (laughs) So that, uh, and that sort of claim that could impact like a reputation of another kid that Mm -hmm. doesn't play well with others. Don't play with Jimmy. He'll bite you. He'll bite you. He's a biter. (laughs) Um, Researchers suggest that the change is related to how in the three to five-year-old age range, their understanding of other people's minds change. So their sort of understanding about how other people work is very different at five than it is, say, at three, and that sort of, that changes quite a lot. Gossip always isn't unnecessary or bad. Its origins can run quite deep, and it can serve an important constructive social role. As I alluded to earlier, I was going to talk about the whisper network as it relates to pro-social gossip. These whisper networks are unofficial information channels that women often, it's often women, used to warn usually other women about usually men whose behavior falls somewhere between the creepy to criminal. This goes from warning a new co-worker to stay away from Kevin at the Christmas party if you don't want your butt grabbed, to Harvey Weinstein, uh, the worst kept secret in the business. Yes. So, yes, gossip can distort the details, but most women know the ways to sort of trust that information for truthfulness, sort of like the litmus test. Um, so if information firsthand, secondhand, or more, this type of gossip is so important because we all know how hard it is to connect uh, most men with their shitty behavior to con- and their shitty behavior to consequences. What? I know. You mean you can try to rape a young woman and still end up on the Supreme Court for a lifetime appointment? Yes. What? Or, you know, that guy who raped that college student doesn't like steak anymore. We should just feel bad for Brock. No, he had such a promising career as a rapist. I mean, swimmer ahead of him. Because this is a depressing as hell conversation. (laughs) And at the time of writing, I really didn't want to deal with the, like, useless feeling that delving deep into something like the Whisper Network or the Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey leaves me with, so I decided to move on to celebrity gossip (laughs) and our fascination with it. You know, what's um, interesting is our first episode we talked about being worried about coming to a taping with the same story, right? Mm -hmm. I keep a list on my phone of notes 
of topics that I want to explore. And I just want to show you what the first two topics uh, were going to be. Celebrities who are domestic abusers, crazy celebrity rumors. Oh, I think I might have that covered. So I'm really glad uh, this is happening. I'm deleting both of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so, doing domestic abusers, though, so maybe you could I know, tap but I don't want to get sued, so that's why that's it was true. like, mm. But uh, yeah, crazy celebrity rumors off the list. Proceed. As I said, gossip has its roots in our past and how we use it and used to use it in our small, closed societies. But now since the internet and social media, that's no longer the case. Our societies are massive and global. And some uh, psychologists and anthropologists feel that celebrity gossip has stepped in to fill that small town gossip void. Now, those people who still live in small towns, there's probably some of that, especially with older people. But um, yeah, that's the celebrity gossip has become almost like a universal language. So no matter mm. where you are, you are more than likely to be able to have a conversation about Brad Pitt. I was just going to say. If they speak English or you can speak the same language, you could talk about Angelina Jolie. You could talk about Brad Pitt. You could talk about. That was literally the example I was going to give. Everyone's team Jen or team Angelina. Like, yeah. Everyone has a side on that. So, or uh, Crispy Ronaldo, as Lainey likes to call him. But then we go back into that, the abuser. Uh... So going back to my favorite blog, Lainey Gossip, to quote Lainey, the conversation uh, about celebrity gossip is a conversation about ourselves and not about the subject. It illuminates about who we are and what we believe in. Okay, yeah. So if you take some of the most popular gossip topics or subjects, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, both women are fallback cover girls for the, say, weekly gossip magazines. The Us yeah. Weeklies, the Stars, the... People. The People. In touch, yeah. Yeah, if there's nothing popular going on or prominent going on, it's usually Jennifer Aniston or Angelina Jolie. And think of Jennifer Aniston. What are the two default headlines? She is, it'll be involving her love life or pregnancy. Yes. So that she's still in love with Brad, sad, lonely woman, or that she is either pregnant or she has empty, I like to call it the empty womb syndrome. Oh like, my God. She's so, you know, lonely and sad. She doesn't have a baby. She doesn't have Brad Pitt anymore. Um, so, so what does that say about society? That women are only valued when you're married, when you have children, and for them, and 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 for some reason, some people can't like just let go of Brad and Jen. Like, I fuck think people. There's like, there's like a new magazine out this week. I saw a picture online, and it's back to Brad and Jen and pregnancy again. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, she is done with that piece of cur- like. Come on. Oh, and also, I have to put in here. Uh, not having children and not wanting children doesn't make you any less of a woman. Oh, exactly. As someone in that boat. <laughs> I just, that has to be said. So on the other side of the Brad Pitt coin <laughs> is the evil queen Angelina Jolie. Yes, the homewrecker. The, the femme fatale that is supposedly every woman's nightmare. The sex pot homewrecker who is going to steal your husband. <laughs> Even after getting married and having a lot of kids, she still couldn't win. So Jennifer Aniston can't win with getting married again and not having kids. Angelina Jolie can't win with getting married and having kids. Mm -hmm. But they're still both cut, like, just boxed into those two corners. So don't even get me started on how both of their most recent ex-husbands are spinning the divorce. 
Brad Pitt about how Angie is keeping him from his kids and she's not a saint. Also, I love over the summer how his people strongly suggested that Brad Pitt was dating Dr. Neri Oxman, who, if you don't know who she is, she's a renowned artist, architect, and academic based at MIT. Hmm. She is a pretty cool-ass broad. Well, I guess in a world where George Clooney, who was never going to get married, marries a mall, uh, anything is possible? But there's a point, like, at, again, at Laney, and I'm not sure if it was Laney or one of the other amazing writers on that site. I'm sorry. I just have to back up and correct what I said. George didn't marry Amal. Amal agreed to marry George. Sorry. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I just didn't like how that cast her as the, <laughs> the weak one in that relationship. But the fact that he was the forever bachelor and mm-hmm. he found true love with outside of the, the Hollywood bubble. Yeah. The, someone in uh, one of the writers on Laney pointed out that Unlike other divorced Hollywood actors his age, <coughs> Ben Affleck, he couldn't just hook up with a 20-year-old Instagram model like Leo. He was married to Angelina Jolie. She's like the top tier of Hollywood class system, right? Mm-hmm. Like she has got she's got all of that things that you know, those 20-year-old Instagram models or Playboy to. bunnies can't get. Yeah. Like they're not there yet. So he had to go outside, and she's also, you know, seen as a saint and look at all her charity work. So he couldn't just go bang some 20-year-old. Like, right. he just, especially if he was going to win this this gossip battle. So he had to find someone who was that cool, but just outside of the sphere. The, the sphere. Um, so currently, Brad is winning World War, World War Bradge. <laughs> Because um, his team is spinning the gossip the best, but I wouldn't count Angelina Jolie out yet because no one knows how to work the media and gossip quite as well as she does. This is true. Like, everyone's just okay with the fact that she used to be with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Like, that takes a lot of spin. Yeah, that, that really does. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Aniston's ex, Justin, whatever the fuck his the name row. is. I can never remember it because he is pretty unmemorable. This is true. Uh, After they split up, his team pushed the narrative that the split was because she was too Hollywood and celebrity, and that did not sit well with his edgy, artsy New York City vibe. Horse shit. Yes. This is the same person who was, uh, yeah, this, the same line and the same sort of spin was set so many different ways it was like vomit inducing because <laughs> nothing says edgy like telling everybody how edgy you are true also nothing like, like in a month or two after they split he was in the front row of the louis vuitton show with emma stone because they both rep louis vuitton so again nothing says edgy like, like repping one, one of a, the biggest fashion houses in the world yeah <laughs> so what I'm hearing is someone's got a real high horse. Oh, yeah. I got high on his douchey ass horse. And he likes to ride that sucker into the ground. Yeah. And, like, Jennifer Aniston didn't come out with too much press. No. She really let her friend's Instagram accounts. Tell she the didn't story. tell the story of her living her best life with all of her friends, looking gorgeous, doing what she does best. Just before they split up, she had that big article in Architects Digest about her house and her house, like, restorations and stuff. And then she just didn't really say anything too much about their divorce. She just 
kept showing up on her mm-hmm. good friend's Instagram accounts. That's what she did after Brad, too. Yeah. She was very quiet. That whole Angelina versus Jen was really the construct of the Oh, gossip. Media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so gossip is often sort of really feminized as, like, the domain of women, but it isn't. Like, A, everybody gossips. Also, there are five TSN channels showing hours of sports gossip. Gossip. I was just going to say. Trade rumors, how the locker room politics works, how the coach is getting on with his players, if this goalie is batshit crazy or not. Uh, talk sports radio, which I listen to. I was, yeah, <laughs> I love my talk. Like I love my two guys on the radio because it's quite funny um, in the mornings here in, in Ottawa. Um, but it's gossip. It's it's gossip. It's it's men talking gossip in a masculine sphere, but it's still gossip. Yes, the all day trade center talk, like when it's trade deadline day, like they have to fill ten hours of and they do. gossip, <laughs> and it's. Horribly painful to watch. <laughs> um, and I, 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 again, I like watching some sports, but, you know, I don't want, like, watching three hours of the same show. But it's it's gossip, uh, political gossip, which mm-hmm. with Trump in the White House, it's, like, gossip genie for politics has, like, blossomed or some shit. All the, what I love about Twitter is all the alt-government website or um, Twitter handles, because that's just... Gossip. Yeah. Gossip about the crap that's happening in the administration. And, like, even in Canada, the summer. This summer was a hotbed for political gossip. You had Maxine Bernier leave the Conservatives and decided he was going to start his own party and throwing shit down about, like, the leadership. Prediction, then, October 10th, that's going to go nowhere. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to go nowhere. I know that. Um, and um, Singh, the leader of the NDP, with all of his problems controlling his cabinet because he's not in Ottawa. So, you know, they've been sort of going rogue on him too. Mm-hmm. But again, it's all gossip. Yep. So let's get back to what I know best. Yeah. Celebrities. So here are some crazy fan theories, conspiracy theories, gossip things. So um, uh, the first one is the Robert Patterson, Kristen Stewart. So still, still, some twihards just like they, <laughs> they actually believe that they are married, have kids, and live on a ranch somewhere, and that both his and her girlfriends are just beards for their secret <laughs> love, so that like the media wouldn't intrude upon their children's lives. I was gonna ask, like, what is the payoff of hiding this from anyone? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is like they are rabid, like they are rabid in this belief. Um, there's also that wonderfully fun theory that Beyonce faked her pregnancies to cover up fertility issues. Of course. Why? I have no idea. As someone who suffered with fertility issues, it's not really that passe, is it? Like, is it really something you'd have to hide? So many celebrities use surrogates and stuff now. But I mean, regardless, Beyonce is so close to the chest anyway. Like, she is so tight on her social media and her releases and her rumors and gossip. Like... If you hear a rumor about Beyonce and it doesn't come from Ivy Park, it's not true. Yeah, exactly. She has so many NDAs out in the field and people are just, like... Terrified. She and Beyonce, if, if she and Jay-Z, if they pooled their money, would be able to purchase the Confederate flag. Like, as an image, purchase the Confederate flag and then charge any redneck racist who wants to fly it a certain fee for flying it. I know. So, like... 
She has so many NDAs out in the field, and it could be so punishing to break them. But there is no rumors leaking about Beyonce. Oh, I know. That you and she doesn't believe. do interviews. Nope. She doesn't she have to. That shit she sells down. out her worldwide tours with or without the media interview. Like, yeah. Yeah. She has that shit locked down. Yeah. <laughs> it is tight. <laughs> also, the most rabbit fans. I didn't cover uh, a ton of them. I just covered three because I know this was going long anyway. Um, One Directioners are also <laughs> crazy. Is this like a British thing? Because uh, there's a bunch of, like, batshit crazy ones about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, too. Right. Uh, but Directioners are a little bit extra. So here are a few of just those crazy rumors, conspiracy theories, gossip stuff. Henry, uh, Harry and uh, Lewis are in love. And they have a closeted love. And so they're, they're proof of this love of Styles and Tomlinson are that Harry has a tattoo of swallows on his chest that proves their secret closeted love. You mean swallows is in one of the traditional Birds. imagery of tattoos that have been around since sailors started? Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's supposed to represent the freedom he feels when on the road, so they think it has some sort of... I know. Uh, also, back to Lewis, uh, has faked his baby again because he had a baby with uh, a woman, obviously. Um, and they honestly, a lot of these these fans believe that he faked this baby, faked meeting this woman, getting her pregnant, having a baby, that this actually is a fake baby, either a doll in the pictures or a robotic baby. Okay. <laughs> um, to cover up again his and Harry's secret love. Who cares if you're gay? Like, the world does not care if you're gay that much. Like, I think the problem there, though, is their fan base being female. That is true. Of an age where... where it really have... hurt Ricky Martin in his heyday. No. But, but he was like, closet, I guess. So. But he wasn't in a group at that point. He left Menudo. So, like, you've got a rabbit... You've got a large female fan base. They're all of an age where every emotion is the most powerful emotion you're ever going to feel because hormones are bonkers in the system. And they're British, so that's even worse, because didn't, like, a bunch of people threaten to commit suicide after Take That uh, Robbie Williams band in the 90s split up? I, I don't know. But, like, that age group just being oh, yeah. so, like, upset. So this does not surprise me at all. And it's not so much, it like, if it was a S Club 7 situation, like a mixed gender band, I bet you there'd still be rumors oh, similar to this. And then the last one that I found hilarious. So after Zayn left the group, I refuse to call them a band. I'm sorry. They're a group. <laughs> sure. Please stop calling them a band, people. I don't think any of them play musical instruments. Do they even sing? Oh, we shouldn't talk shit about One Direction. We might lose half of our audience. <laughs> sorry if you're One Directioners. Uh, so after he left the group... Uh, some fans theorize that he never left or may never have exi- existed at all. <laughs> that is peak rumor. <laughs> so he's like the poker, Shh. yeah, the poker room of the music scene. <laughs> I love a good poker room reference <laughs> for those people who are like born. No, don't tell them. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Pokeroo. If you want to know what a pokeroo is, you do the goddamn legwork yourselves. That is true. <laughs> you can fall down that 80s childhood reference rabbit hole. It is the best. So to summarize, everybody gossips. Um, some gossip is obviously bad and malicious. 
Uh, but some gossip is good because it sets out the parameters for our society. Um, pro-social gossip can be very informative and keep people from committing uh, faux pas especially in new workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it can protect uh, women or men from being uh, manipulated or abused in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, celebrity gossip is fascinating. We're all fascinated to a certain extent. Uh, well, actually, everybody's pretty much fascinated, whether it's celebrities or celebrity Sports fans, well, it's or just how you define celebrities. Yeah, right? like so. if your celebrity is the musician or the movie star, somebody else's celebrity could be the center wing. Somebody yeah. else's celebrity can be the politician. Like you might go, oh, I don't gossip. I don't like celebrity gossip. But you spent like two weeks di- dissecting the Hoffman girlfriend versus Eric Carlson's wife debacle. That's gossip. And that really, in some ways, with these mega celebrities like the Brad Pitts, Jennifer Anderson's, and Angela, Angelina Jolie's way, this is almost like a universal language because everybody mm-hmm. across the world knows who know these them. people are. And you can talk to somebody if you could speak their language and you're having trouble like finding us an entry point to small talk, usually talking about either an international soccer star for most of the rest of our uh, companions around the world, or uh, an international movie star is 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 a language that everybody understands. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been gossiping since we were kids. We have been gossiping since we climbed out of the primordial ooze. So gossip is here to stay, people. Embrace it. So get on board, but be kind in it. Yes. Don't set out to negative gossip. No. And we're, we're all guilty of it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and say I've never gossiped in a way that might have hurt someone if they had heard about it. I think your and I text messages are half that. Yes. I think our friendship is based. Oh, my God. Our friendship is so based like, on that. Andy and I worked together for two years. And then Andy went off on stress leave. And we texted. And I stayed in touch because I wanted to make sure she was okay. And then she came back. And then I went off on stress leave, and Andy kept in touch because she wanted to make sure I was okay. I also and picked you up from the airport, uh, from the hospital at Crutches. Yes. <laughs> and then we went out to dinner a couple months later, and I'm sitting there looking at Andy. I'm like, I think Andy's friends with the person that we work with that's causing me all these issues and stressing me out. And then Andy's like, oh, that person's a nightmare. And I'm like, friendship born. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so gossip can be good, but try not to be hurtful to the yeah. people with it. And if you can't be honest and upfront, like we we know we're going to hell. Oh yeah, but it's where all the good comics and musicians are, so I don't feel yeah. that bad about it. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so my story this week is also about the crazy that humans can. I love how we're doing this. Like it's co- like I swear to God, to the listeners, it's coincidental. We're we're like pairing up these things. Like, yeah. I texted Andy the other day and I said. Because Andy asked me about a weed question. I said, well, if you happen to be doing a story about weed, I would just happen to have a complimentary story. So we do have, like, sometimes that happens. But in this case, it's completely organic. Usually it's it's because we saw some bonker story, mm-hmm. like, about... Um, emotional support squirrels. Yes, emotional support <laughs> squirrels. Or did I send you the one this morning about the store in Florida? Yes. Who has put up the sign about not microwaving the urine? Yes. Um, I call dibs right here and right now. I'm going to do a rabbit hole about Florida news. 
Like That's just fair, fair. The news stories that always start a Florida man. <laughs> or woman. True. <laughs> They're bonkers. <laughs> so my story this week is also about a human condition. Um, during my exorcism story, I learned that one of the medical explanations for possession, and I'm air quoting with air quotes, was Munchausen's syndrome. Um, I guess some people will claim that they or someone they're caring for is experiencing a whole bunch of issues stemming from their possession. So that's where Munchausen diagnosis can come in. And uh, it's a fun word to say, Munchausen's. Munchausen. It's a little, it's a little German, a little Germanic. Uh, so because it's a fun word to say, and it's part of our lexicon, like a lot of people will just throw that diagnosis around really casually. I want to learn more about it and find out really what it's about and where the roots are. So I figured I would start with where the term comes from. So I headed over to Wikipedia. (laughs) Um, And their article on factitious disorders imposed on self, uh, for which Munchausen's is a synonym. And the article about Baron Munchausen. It's a dude, an actual dude that lived and breathed. So the condition is named for Baron Munchausen. Um, He's... Technically a fictional German nobleman created by the writer Rudolf Erich Rasp in his 1785 book, Baron Munchausen's Narrative on His Marvelous Travels and Campaigns in Russia. The character is loosely based on a real guy, Hieronymus Karl Friedrich, who was a Freer von Munchausen. So the real Baron served in the Russo-Turkish War, uh, which was the 1730s. Where he, he retired in 1760, he became a minor celebrity within the German aristocratic circles because he told outrageous tales based on his military career. So he claimed to have traveled to the moon. He claimed to have put down uh, rebellions all single-handedly. And there's cannons of, like, like... Big fish type of idea? Yeah, real big fish. So when Rasp, the author, heard about him, he published his stories anonymously in England, which really pissed off the Baron, because the dude's name was Friedrich von Munchausen, and then this magical, mystical, fictional character of the Baron Munchausen appeared in literature, so the real guy was a little pissed. Yeah. The name was attached to a medical condition in the 1950s by Richard Asher, who was a doctor, Uh, He published uh, in The Lancet on a syndrome, and he said of it, quote, Here is described a common syndrome which most doctors have seen, but about which little has been written. Like the famous Baron von Munchausen, the persons affected have always traveled wildly, and their stories, like those attributed to him, are both dramatic and untruthful. Accordingly, the syndrome is respectfully dedicated to the Baron and named after him. So these big fish stories of the Baron became the big fish stories of these patients who just make up medical history and medical conditions. While praised for bringing the condition to light, the medical community wasn't crazy about the name. It was uh, and is still not a big fan of the actual name. They find it disrespectful to the patients that have these conditions, so they prefer to call it factitious disorder imposed on self. So this whole Munchausen thing is really a common parlance issue. It's not a it's not used in the medical community. Yeah, but that's a bunch of men who want to name body parts after themselves. Very true. <laughs> so really, why are they so picky about this name? I know. Like, this is the hill that they have an issue with? Come on. <laughs> Get out of my ute and then we'll talk. Uh, it's now understood that there's a wide range of fictitious disorders. Uh, so the term Munchausen syndrome is reserved for the absolute most severe 
I guess it is still used a little bit in the community by some medical doctors, but only for like the really, really serious cases. When their kind of lies and their stories about their health is the central focus of their life. Like that's all they have. I went to the NHS's website, and the NHS, for those don't, who don't know, is the British healthcare system, um, and I got the following description. Basically, Munchausen's is when someone pretends to be ill or engages in self-harm to aggravate or induce illnesses. Uh, the four ways that people fake or induce illness include lying about symptoms, usually by choosing a symptom that's hard to disprove. So I have a headache, uh, my stomach's bothering me phantom pains in my muscles and my legs, that type of thing. They tamper with test results. So they'll heat a thermometer to make themselves look like they have a fever. Um, they'll do self-harm, like cutting, burning, or they'll poison themselves. Or they'll make pre-existing conditions worse. Uh, this is the example that the NHS gave, which makes me think they've got experience with it, uh, like rubbing feces into a wound to cause infection. So you happen to show up with a cut that you may or may not have given yourself, and then you rub some poop into it to infect it. That's a sign of fictitious self-imposed disorders. Dear God. It was just so specific on the NHS website. I'm like, you've seen this before, haven't yeah. you? You've seen some shit. Like, literally seen some shit. And seen it enough. That <laughs> yeah, that's like the benchmark that you're putting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people with Munchausen's will often make trips, uh, frequent trips to the hospital in different areas. Uh, so they'll doctor shop in hospitals, making up complex medical histories without having documents to support it. They'll report symptoms that don't match their test results. Uh, they'll have symptoms that get worse for no apparent reason. And they seem to have a lot of medical knowledge, which is usually the first giveaway from what I've heard in the medical community. Like if someone comes in talking, like they haven't researched it on WebMD, but have researched it in a medical textbook, that's the first red flag that'll go up. People with this condition often have, um, they're characterized as having few visitors while in hospital. It seems to be a cause for Munchausen's, like they live lonely lives, so they seek attention. So when they show up in the hospital and no one visits them, it's also a bit of a red flag, like they're here for attention specifically. Yeah. Uh, these people will also be willing to undergo dangerous and or painful tests. They report symptoms in vague or inconsistent manners. They report symptoms that have a textbook feel, so literally regurgitating what's in a textbook description. Or, and or, they'll tell highly detailed or unbelievable stories about themselves, like the Baron himself, who traveled to the moon as part of the Russo-Turkish War. Generally, people who have it tend to be women who are 20 to 40 years of age with a background in healthcare, or unmarried white men aged 30 to 50. So researchers have seen these two groups appear as Munchausen syndrome sufferers, but they can't identify why. Like there's really, like there's literally no overlap there between age and background and gender, but they don't know why these two kind of groups are the ones so affected. There are a couple of subdiagnoses that come along with Munchausen syndrome. Uh, the first is Munchausen by internet, which is odd and a new phenomenon. Uh, it has come about because people are joining online support groups and then claim that they have the illness of that group to themselves. So very fight club. Yeah. Uh, this impacts the members of the group who are actually sick. They've reported in the past a sense of betrayal and anger when they learn that someone has been lying to them about their experience. People with this Munchausen by internet condition will post messages with big chunks of info that's been copy and, copy and pasted from health sites. The symptoms they report are much worse than everyone else's. 
So it's just that intention-seeking, you have a bad, I have it worse attitude. They happen to have miraculous recoveries quite frequently uh, when they suffer by this uh, mysterious illness. Uh, They make claims that can't be factually proven, such as they got treatment at a hospital that doesn't actually exist. Uh, They report super dramatic lives, pretend to be aloof about their health. So, Andy, how are you feeling today? I know that condition has been really bothering you and flaring up. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. It's okay. Let's let's move on. Like, I don't know. So they'll be aloof like that. And they'll often create this catfish-style network and make posts about themselves, but claiming to be other people. So literally, like we saw in Catfish, that whole Megan is sick, or Megan's sister is sick, and so her mother is posting as 18 different family members in support of her. So that's a pretty big flag of Munchausen by internet. The most common subdiagnosis, I think, um, and it's probably more understood and more seen uh, than Munchausen itself, is Munchausen by proxy. Uh, also known as fabricated or induced illness. And this is a rare form of child abuse that occurs when a parent or guardian exaggerates or deliberately causes symptoms of illness in a child to get attention. Heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Usually it's the mother causing the illness because she enjoys the attention she's getting as being seen as a caring mother. The perpetrator is usually emotionally unstable, impulsive, and has disturbed thinking. You'd have to be to purposely harm your own child for attention. It's common to see Munchausen in that person as well, but it's really the impact on the child that is important. So the primary, like I was saying, the primary concern in Munchausen by proxy always has to be the health of the child in the situation where it's suspected. So regardless of what the mother or caretaker's actual deal is, like the child comes first. (laughs) Yes. Yes. People with Munchausen usually have a history of emotional trauma, such as neglect, or illness during childhood that resulted in getting lots of medical attention. They have a personality disorder, which is a pattern of abnormal thinking or behavior, so they'll often fall into the categories of DSM-5, which is the diagnostic diagnostic manual that a psychologist has used. Uh, So they'll often also be characterized as antisocial, having borderline personality disorder, or narcissism. And they tend to hold a grudge against the authority uh, or healthcare professionals in their life, oddly enough. So they seek this attention and then they don't like it. Treatment is challenging because the patient often doesn't want to admit that they're faking illness and or they want to continue to receive their specialized attention. Psychiatric care is the way to go. Um, It's primarily treated with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is supposed to be short term remapping the brain pathways to have a different uh, behavior pattern. If the sufferers of Munchausen don't want to accept treatment, medical professionals try to limit their contact with them. So not feeding into the the disorder. That's hard, though, in a doctor shopping situation where they hop from hospital to hospital. But Munchausen shouldn't be confused with health anxiety, also known as hypochondria, or malingering, uh, which is the faking of illness to gain material goods. So you claim that you have cancer and set up a crowdfunding Uh, website or you just don't want to go to work so you make up chronic back pain to get out of work. Munchausen is much more serious than either hypochondria or malingering. So there are oodles of examples out there um, of people who suffer this condition uh, and I wanted to talk about some of those stories that uh, really stood out to me when I google searched news um, for Munchausen stories. 
what I found is Munchausen by proxy is far more reported because obviously it's a crime. Like yeah. if you just suffer from Munchausen, you're really hurting no one but yourself. If it's Munchausen by proxy, someone else is hurt. What I did find, I started reading an article and I had to stop because it broke my fucking heart. Uh, it's not just Munchausen by proxy with children. It's also Munchausen by proxy with pets. The Royal uh, Humane Society in the UK had an article about um, the number of pets who are brought into vet clinics with unexplained injuries. Like, I only got through the first couple paragraphs and I'm like, no, the world sucks enough as it is. I don't need to add to it. But basically the gist that I got was people are harming their pets for attention in vet clinics. Dear God. I know. I mean, you can eventually explain it to a kid. You can't eventually explain it to a dog. Like... That's even worse to me. (laughs) Maybe it's because I don't have children and I do have pets, but (laughs) let's talk about some examples. Um, There is a case out of the UK uh, centered around Dr. Sir Samuel Roy Meadows, and he pioneered the field of study around Munchausen by proxy. Uh, I took this uh, information from a profile on him in 2006 done by the Daily Mail. Uh, You can find that online. Dr. Meadows trained in medicine at Oxford, became a senior lecturer and consultant in pediatrics at Lees University in 1790. And in 1790, 1970, can you tell him his story in the past? Um, In 1977, he published in The Lancet an article entitled Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy, The Hinterland of Child Abuse, which explained how parents sometimes harm their children to get attention for themselves. So it took about... 20 years, 30 years to move from Munchausen's to Munchausen's by proxy in the field. He became a famous expert witness for the prosecution against caregivers accused of Munchausen by proxy. His most famous testimony came during the trial of Sally Clark, who lost two children to sudden infant death syndrome. And he claimed, and I'm saying falsely, that losing two children to SIDS was basically statistically impossible. That's not true at all. SIDS is a diagnosis of exclusion. So you don't, you've run through everything else that makes sense and it's not that. And so you say it's SIDS because you don't know what else it is. That could just be a genetic condition that we haven't found yet. Yep. So it doesn't shock me that there's two children in a family lost to SIDS. But uh, Dr. Meadows claimed that it shouldn't have happened. And if it did happen, there had to have been some sort of other motivating factor involved. So he testified against this mother who went to jail, if I'm not mistaken. He was later involved with the creation of something called Meadows Law. Um, And this is just a theory. It's not an actual law. The theory claimed that one sudden infant death is a tragedy, two is suspicious, and three is murder, unless proven otherwise. So he basically just lined up a lot of, as like the expert defense or the expert prosecution witness, he just lined up a lot of cases for them to charge mothers who just lost children to unknown Lovely. reasons. Yeah. And he believed that uh, it was all Munchausen by proxy and not SIDS or an unknown condition. For these massively inappropriate testimonies that he gave, he was struck from the medical register in the UK in the early 2000s, but he appealed and got his license back because the world loves nothing more than a white man with privilege and refuses to curtail his career, regardless of being deserved or not. Dude, you sent all these poor moms who just suffered children loss to jail. Yeah. Well, that shouldn't uh, affect my career. No. Uh, If you have Amazon Prime, there's a documentary right now called Mama slash M-A-M-A. And it features him. And this is the one I was telling you about when I was watching it. 
so the documentary follows a couple of families uh, who are part of this MAMA group, which is Mothers Against Munchausen Accusations. Um, and Meadows was became kind of the villain of this documentary because of his uh, accusations in court against these women. But he's got some questionable medical practices himself. He would use his grandchildren, if I'm not mistaken, to test medical theories on, like, one mother was claiming her infant's legs were going blue, uh, and he, they didn't know why. So he got his grandson to come over, and he purposely stopped the blood flow from one of his arteries into his leg to see how long it took to go blue and how long it took to come back to pink. And this was just, like, one Sunday afternoon when he was at home with his grandkids, like, fucking with his grandkids' circulation. Like, so this guy's got a real high horse of his own, mm-hmm. and it's pretty douchey as well. That's... And it's so, so many times you read about things like that, where it's like, oh, but it was done in the name of science. Well, you're doing the exact same thing you're, you're claiming some mother is doing to harm her child. Exactly. And you're intentionally harming your grandchild to see if you can copy it. Yes. You're, you're basically inflicting Munchausen by proxy onto your grandson. Congratulations, you're a monster. (laughs) But I'm doing it in the name of science, so it's okay. Also, I'm a white, privileged male, so it's double okay. (laughs) It just annoys me. It's like, I kind of want to know when he told his daughter that he was doing this or his son. I would not be surprised if she found out about it while watching the documentary her dad was in. He just had that vibe about him. Of like, there's nothing wrong with this. No one should be uncomfortable that I've done this. (laughs) It's a really good documentary. If you want to learn more about it, um, the condition, it's it's riveting. I started it thinking all of the mothers were actually guilty of having harmed their children. And by the end, you're like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake here. These poor women. This isn't right. It's heartbreaking. Some people do do it, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. On that note, my next story that I found in my Google News search uh, is a story that comes from the Dallas Star-Telegram by Dina Boyd. Uh, the article is entitled, Christopher had 323 doctor visits and 13 major surgeries, and here's why his mom was arrested. So, the boy's father suspected that there was a problem uh, when the woman was actually pregnant with Christopher. She would call him at all hours from random hospitals where she'd been admitted, and once claimed to be running a fever of 110 degrees Fahrenheit, or 43 degrees Celsius, and she had been running this fever for seven days. We are supposed to run at 37 degrees Celsius or 98 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you are running a fever of 110 or 43, you are in a boiling pot of water. And you will not survive that. Your brain will cook. I don't even think the human temp- the human body is capable of getting up that high. But you're not running at that temp for seven days. Uh, she gave birth to her son early at 33 weeks. And immediately started reporting that he was sick. At 11 days old, hospital staff watched her pour milk out of a bottle down a drain and then tell staff that he'd finished the whole thing. So withholding nutrients for a preemie baby, claiming he'd actually taken in all the nutrients. So then retarded growth is going to, sorry, slow, inappropriate growth. When I say retarded growth, I mean that in the medical term of the growth wasn't as it should be when the failure to thrive failure to thrive but in fact it wasn't it was failure to give the nutrients claimed 
Between 2009, when he was born, and 2016, when he was seven, he was Christopher, the child, was seen 323 times at hospitals and underwent 13 major surgeries. Dear God. His mother set up multiple fundraisers to help pay for medical treatments, and on one of those pages, she raised over $8,000 alone. Um, he had to be fitted with a feeding tube, which led to multiple blood infections that almost killed him. He was confined to a wheelchair, underwent radiological exams, had ports, picks, and central lines put in, and his mother tried to get him on the lung transplant list. She even put him into hospice care. It was so bad. The father tried to get people to believe that his son wasn't sick, but the mother was believed. Uh, she had convinced people that Christopher had a rare genetic disorder and also cancer. When the father took the issue to court, uh, the mother told the judge that Christopher was dying and his father didn't know how to take care of him, and so visitation rights were suspended. Way to go, Your Honor. Doctors were trying to wean him off the meds and machines at multiple points, but his mother... What did the doctor say about it, though? Um, like, They are always in this difficult situation, yeah. like... Do you believe the test? Like, the child at this point is very obviously sick because he's gone through so much. But what's the originating symptom? Is she exasperating things? Is she adding things? What's true? What's not? Besides, like, witnessing her disposing of food she had claimed to give, um, there was instances where the doctors tried to wean Christopher off medications and different machines at multiple points, but the mother would always refuse. Finally, the hospital staff caught wise and couldn't stay silent anymore, and they alerted children's services and had the boy and his siblings removed from the mother. It turned out he did not have cancer, he did not need a lung transplant, and he definitely should never have been put into hospice care. His health was never that serious to require that uh, level of care. The mother, who was 34, was arrested for, I quote, injury to a child with serious bodily injury. Understatement of the century. Basically attempted murder at that point. I'm sorry. After being removed from her care, Christopher was admitted, to, was admitted to the hospital where he ate regularly and had no need for a feeding tube or oxygen or an IV. Rather, he was up and playing most of the time that he was there, and currently he's only taking an allergy medication. I hope his dad got custody of him. He's still fighting for it. Oh, I know. The article made some good points about why Munchausen by proxy is allowed to continue for so long. Uh, some of those points, uh, family courts don't understand the condition very well. Uh, there's no bruises or rape kits to prove that there's abuse. abuse happening. They can't believe that a mother would purposely harm her child. So there's a systemic belief that mothers are always going to be a nurturing force in a child's life. And the court just has no concept for that not being true. Uh, there's also the assumption that doctors wouldn't put kids through the pain and unnecessary tests and treatments. So if you're racking up all of these mm. tests and you go into court with a medical document pile that's as tall as the child, like court is going to believe that the doctors thought all that was necessary. Like I said, the mother is has been arrested. She's been charged. The father is still fighting for custody. I believe the kids are uh, in the care of the state at the moment. But Christopher is doing better and he's hopefully going to be able to live a childhood now for the next little while. Probably the most famous recent case that uh, has come about is the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Have you ever heard of her? Yes. Yeah. So Christine on, uh, and that's why we drink, did a great summary of this case. So I would recommend that you listen to it if you're not quite familiar. I'm just going to go over like really general points here. Um, 
but I can't not mention it because it is so popular and in the news right now. Uh, this information that I got. So extreme. Like, it's just the extremist case of this. I, it's like a Lifetime movie. If you wanted to write a Lifetime movie about yeah. the consequences of Munchausen by proxy, this is the plot you would craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this information that I have here today comes from People.com's article titled, Gypsy Rose Blanchard on Munchausen by proxy mom she murdered. Quote, she physically chained me to a bed. No surprise here. Um... The victim of Munchausen by proxy is currently serving a 10-year prison sentence for her involvement in the case. As the uh, title of the article suggests, she murdered her mother, who was inflicting Munchausen by proxy on her. And had been for quite some time. Uh, Gypsy's mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, presented herself as raising a child with muscular dystrophy, leukemia, and other ailments while being the child was uh, wheelchair-bound. Following Hurricane Katrina, they were able to secure public appearances on the news, visits with celebrities, a trip to Disney World, and a home provided to them by Habitat for Humanity because of Gypsy Rose's alleged conditions. Dee Dee was very protective of her daughter, but as she got older, Gypsy Rose wanted her independence and to be able to grow up, as well would. So in 2015, Dee Dee was found dead in her home and Gypsy Rose was missing. As it turns out, Gypsy Rose had been in an online relationship with a slightly older man, and the two had conspired to kill Dee Dee, which she did, and then they ran, and were miss- uh, she was missing for a couple of days uh, before the police finally caught up with them. For her part in that, Gypsy Rose is now serving a 10-year sentence specifically for her mother's murder. So I've read a few articles on the story. I've seen a few interviews. Dr. Phil did a famous like two-parter. You know I love my Dr. Phil. I love my afternoon train wrecks. I can't not watch. Um, So he did a two-parter. I am not downplaying what Gypsy Rose went through. It looked like hell on earth. And just like with Christopher's case, the mother alienated the father, kept him out of the care, got the courts to suspend his visitation rights. Um, She would force Dee Dee to stay in the... Or she would force Gypsy Rose to be in the wheelchair, uh, kept friends away, kept her very isolated. I'm not downplaying that. The problem I have with the story is that Dee Dee's behavior gets worse every time the story is told. So when she talked to Dr. Phil, it was all the, and we could have been edited, I'll give you that, but it was all like the medical things that Dee Dee was doing to her. And then there was an article from People uh, about a year before this one where Dee Dee had hit her a couple of times or something like that. And now Dee Dee's chaining her to a bed. So every time the story gets told, it's getting worse and worse yeah. what uh, Gypsy Rose went through. It's bad enough that she was a Munchausen by proxy victim, but it's starting to seem like she's justifying what happened by building up her narrative, much like a Munchausen patient would. So I'm wondering if mm, she's no longer just a Munchausen by proxy victim, but she's also suffering from Munchausen's itself. And so she'll like start seeking this attention, medical problems resulting from her situation. Like some of the symptoms, like making everything seem worse yeah. and conflating is one of the symptoms of Munchausen, so... She's also probably, like, you gotta think, especially someone like her, she is so fucked up. Oh, Like, yeah. she is going to, have, of course, have a bunch of, like, mental health issues. Yeah. And, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if she ends up ends up with Munchausen. Yeah. Because how do you, you not? not? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you were, she was abused from birth. Yes. And convinced that she was sick. Yeah. Like, even I think some of the stories I read, like she didn't realize that she wasn't sick until she was quite a bit older. That yeah, like she sort of caught on to 
all this of these. Isn't right. Like, this her, isn't like right. she would want to stand up at, in out of the wheelchair, and her mother would get really angry. Yeah. And she couldn't understand. Like, but I can walk. Yeah. So like, that is gonna fuck you up good. Yeah. So then I guess there is some sort of inherent belief that she's always going to be sick because she's always been sick her entire life, even right. though she wasn't. And also she does have lingering conditions. Like her mother had all of her teeth pulled out of her head for whatever reason. So that like having yeah. had major orthodontic work done as a child, I can tell you the long lasting effects of fucking with your jaw and skull development. Like serious back pains, serious like joint issues. Like you fuck with that, everything gets fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> So I would not be surprised if the Munchausen by proxy has created actual medical conditions that are going to be problematic. Oh, of course. And then pile that on top of the emotional and the mental damage that was done to this girl. Like, I don't want to, it's not fair to diagnose when we don't have degrees or firsthand knowledge, but just the way that the story keeps growing every time it's told makes me a little suspicious of questioning what's true and what isn't really. So like all mental health conditions, this is a very serious one, and treatments should definitely be sought uh, if you're suffering from it. Self or communal diagnoses aren't right. So (laughs) what we just done did is probably not healthy for Gypsy Rose. Please don't listen to our episode. Let's not cast that on her. But if you feel like you're suffering from it, maybe get help. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is if you're actually suffering from it, you probably won't. If someone in your life, you think someone is suffering from it, keep on the doctors, keep on child protective services if that's what's in your area. Don't let it continue. But don't conflate the situation either, because it can easily be confused with hypochondria or malingering personality. You know what? If you're not a medical doctor or a psychologist, stay the fuck out of everyone's business. I'm just going to put that out there. My last kind of note on this is if you are in the medical system, uh, to inform yourself about this condition. I think too long, like we saw with the case of Christopher, it just goes on and on and on for so long. Like, there are red flags. The NHS has identified these are things that make us suspect Munchausen's was walking through our door. Take that seriously. Like, the people who saw her pour down the formula of the drain. Should have been documented right away to CS, uh, to Child Protective Services. That should yeah. have been the first thing in her file. Yeah. We all have to be responsible for each other to a certain degree. Especially with kids. With children being involved. Yeah. Like, I cannot even imagine doing something to potentially harm my kids. And, yeah, that story of the Gypsy Rose is heartbreaking to the fact that she had to go through that and that she thought that her only option it was to murder her mother murder her mother but there's also a documentary on amazon prime uh, about the case that you can stream right now hmm. it's interesting to watch and you can't get the dr phil train wreck interview which is what i recommend because i loves me a good train wreck and you do love you some dr phil i do dr phil was the only thing that almost convinced me to hold on to my cable like when i made the switch from cable to streaming a couple years ago and then i realized i could just stream it <laughs> I was but like, you I can't stream cable, TLC. But I can't stream TLC, which should basically just be renamed like Trainwreck Learning Channel at this point. Not even learning, just Trainwreck train Laughter Channel. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm at home very rarely and can watch some TV. And if I'm too lazy to go downstairs or it's too cold and I'm too lazy to put on a fire, I'll just sit upstairs without my PVR and watch TLC. TLC. And it's usually right now a lot of 90 Day Fiance 
uh, or night before the 90 days or after the 90 days and that is some train wrecks yeah wow a lot of self-delusion out there and a lot of self-delusion willing to go on camera yes oh my god oh my god (laughs) so anyways uh you can reach us so if you liked our stories you can tell us or you can see our show notes so if you want to see those uh those articles that we talked about uh you can go visit our website at rabbitholespodcast.com uh you can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com uh, you could tweet us at Rabbit Holes Pod. Or see us on Facebook at Rabbit Holes Podcast page and Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast. Absolutely. And while you're online, uh, take a minute to go to iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play, really wherever you are downloading this podcast to help us out by leaving us a good review or a good rating. Uh, Right now, we're running a contest. You have until the end of the day on October 21st, so the day this episode drops, to go give us that good review or good rating. And then the next day, we're going to take everyone's name, put it into a draw, and that person gets some awesome Rabbit Holes podcast merch. Also, uh, if you want to connect with us and support us, um, in addition to giving us those good reviews or ratings, you can become a patron for us. We have our Patreon set up at Rabbit Holes Podcast. Uh, just search that uh, on Patreon, or you can go to the the show's website and check out the support tab. We have lots of fun stuff coming to the not-so-secret secret part of our website for our patrons of the Velveteen tier and above. Uh, also, if you want to wrap us out in the big wide world, we have some really cute merch available for purchase through the Redbubble store. You can just go to redbubble.com and search the name of the show or find the links in our merch tab on our website. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed episode number nine. And remember, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.